0: Hello and welcome to The Scrum, the WGBH podcast where we talk about politics and media from Beacon Hill to the Beltway. I'm Adam Riley. I'm joined today, as I often am, by Peter Kadzis, the senior editor of WGBHnews.org. Hello, Peter.
1: Greetings, Adam.
0: Uh, Peter, I know it's not what we're here to talk about, but i got to ask you, uh, did you go out and get your brand new GE tattoo yet?
1: I bought another light bulb. Nice. Um,
0: would you like me to opine about I would. the significance? I would. Is this well, a good thing for Boston?
1: Uh, yes, it is a good thing. And uh, it should be a reminder to those people who uh, were promoting the Olympics because Boston was a washed-up backwater that um, Boston has a lot to offer. Um, I would say um, Boston will offer an awful lot to GE. Um, We already
0: have, right, some tax incentives. Are are you talking Boston offering a lot to GE or GE to Boston? Uh,
1: No, I meant Boston offers a
0: lot to GE. Okay.
1: Um, Anyone who's seen the the most recent and very amusing General Electric ads um, about a young guy who – is a programmer, and he's writing code to make the world a better place, will recognize that uh, Boston is one of the coding capitals of the world. And uh, it's a good move for uh, GE.
0: What would you say to those listeners of ours who may be participating in that uh, make GE pay hashtag uh, that is currently trending on Twitter? They don't like the uh, tax incentives uh, that are being offered to GE by the city, the financial incentives being offered by the state of Massachusetts. Do they have a point?
1: No. The The incentives, uh, as far as we know what they are, are uh, really pretty typical. Uh, I would say that GE should be made to pay its federal income taxes, of which it pays next to nothing or Maybe even a negative number if that's possible. But Boston and Massachusetts have offered them, uh, you know, a, a, a very good but pretty standard package.
0: All right. On to the matter at hand. Peter and I recently sat down with Michelle Wu, the new president of the Boston City Council. Symbolically, her election was a big deal. She's the first Asian American ever to hold that role. We started out by asking Wu why in her inaugural speech she cited transparency as her number one goal. And I would say she gave us two answers. First, she said that when she initially tried to navigate government as an outsider, after her mother was stricken with mental illness and she became the de facto guardian for her two younger sisters, she found it really daunting and unpleasant. So now that she is in a position of power, she wants to make sure other people don't have that kind of experience. But Wu also says that when it comes to transparency, there is a big upside for politicians.
2: I think one of the biggest challenges for... Politicians and elected officials is the gap between what we do day-to-day, the work that we do inside our offices or, or in our jobs, the gap between that work and the understanding of what we're doing out in the general world and the, among the general public. The bridge between that is often the media, right? So people will understand what their government is doing by opening up the, the paper or going online to read, and then the, the media only covers the sort of selectively, you know, you you have to sell papers and and you can't cover everything.
1: And we don't have the resources we have.
2: So you pick and choose and, and the filtering and filtering and filtering creates very strange and I think negative incentives for politicians, where one, you are incentivized to get that next media splash, and therefore create this controversy, even if it's not necessarily the most effective way to get something done. Or if there's some big controversy that's important, but you don't want that to be the only thing people associate you with, then it, it incentivizes you not to get involved and to be paralyzed. So the more transparent we are, the better we're able to bridge that.
0: Peter, do you buy the argument Michelle Wu is making there? Um,
1: I buy some of it. I think she's being um, shrewd and sophisticated, but perhaps excessively high-minded. Let's not forget that she's a bridge figure. She's trying to bridge the gap between the older traditionalists and the younger progressives. And the older traditionalists really took it in the nose with this, uh, I would say, boneheaded move to increase their own pay. And I think she's very skillfully uh, maneuvering.
0: Hmm. Uh, I give her
1: high marks for that. She's in a leadership position. Her job is to bring the council together. And I think if you accept
0: my premise, that's a smart answer. Hold that thought about the pay raise because Michelle Wu had a bit more to say about that topic later. First, though, we asked Wu for an example of work that the council has done that didn't get the attention it deserved. And I have to say the answer she gave took me totally by surprise.
2: One example of, of sort of micro level policy, an uh, ordinance that we had been debating around sandwich board signs, right? So the, the 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 signs that you see out on the sidewalks in front of businesses that advertise a daily special or you know discounts or whatever's on the menu, um, there we had started hearing from different neighborhoods that it was unclear what the rules were, sometimes the BRA was involved, sometimes it was ISD, and the un- the enforcement was also uneven. You know, there are certain neighborhoods where a board would take up the entire narrow sidewalk and it was fine, and then other neighborhoods where there were much wider sidewalks but people, business owners were still getting ticketed. So Mayor Walsh proposed an ordinance, the council debated it, we had a couple working sessions on it, and, we ended up with a policy that, really, I think, does tries its best, and and for a one-year trial period, um, balances accessibility with small business owners' interests with pedestrian access. But it's it's something that really can have an impact on how our neighborhoods look, how people feel when they're going down their streets. Uh, and I don't I don't think it was covered in any major <laughs> media outlet or by any the, source.
1: How about the neighborhood? weekly newspapers did they cover it?
2: Um you know I don't know uh, and, that, and a lot of that is on us right so we have so much going on in our daily jobs that we need to remember to put out those press releases and and make sure people know what's happening but the, the way that I got the most that the council got the most feedback on it was through um, a, a, an app that we had partnered with so we partnered with Agora to live stream the hearings and get feedback from business owners who couldn't be here in person that day to testify and also through the City Council notes, got a lot of emails in response.
0: So what's something that might happen in the next year or two uh, as you run this body or preside over this body that would uh, change the way information about something like that gets out?
2: I'm hoping um, with the the City's website relaunch that our Council's website will will have a feature to be able to track every docket that's been filed. Right now, if you want to see what documents are available, what documents are presented at any hearing or see the meeting minutes or the results, you sort of have to email someone who will reach out to the committee chair and staffer, and then they'll send it back to you, and then it might get posted somewhere, but it's not available when you go to the website. So something where you can filter what was filed, when was it filed, what committee is it sitting in, how many days has it been there, what are all the documents attached to it, that would enable anyone to comment on the business of the council and to see as a whole what are we doing, what are we taking action on.
0: Now, Peter, unlike me, you actually live in the city of Boston. Did the council do you and your fellow residents a great service by standardizing sandwich board protocol?
1: Yes, they did. I remember uh, 17 years ago when we were pushing uh, baby carriages for twins, uh, my wife and I sometimes cursing because our Passageway was blocked by oversized sandwich boards. Um, you know, at that, at, at that moment, back 17 years ago, I wouldn't have thought that sandwich boards were the very stuff of city policy. But listen, this is what urban governance is about. Um, Menino would have loved this issue. This is the granularity of life in the city, and this is where the city
0: council can make a difference. All right. After she was elected, Wu also praised her colleagues on the council, saying that they do a superb job, even though they're often subjected to unfair scrutiny. That was the word she used, unfair. So we asked her what she meant by that.
2: So I think last year, over the last term, you know, we get a good sense of knocking on from knocking on doors and talking to people what their image of the city council is. And across the board, people are talking about the pay raise right over the last year and maybe even a little before that and it it just felt like there was a big disconnect between the time we were putting in the things that we were getting done around paid parental leave environmental you know diesel emissions around immigration and um, protecting immigrant communities that wasn't Really penetrating into the general consciousness, but this persistent focus from the media on the pay raise and and the potential controversies, the vote, every single step of that was covered. Um, one, not really uh, recognizing that there is this tension, right. So the way that it happened last year was very different from the way that previous pay raises have occurred for counselors in that um, in in times past, there was very little, I don't think there were really any public discussions, no hearings, no working sessions, just a proposal and a vote, maybe one bad media story or one short cycle and then done. And that's the t- again going back to the, the sort of warped incentives on politicians, right? We talk about transparency, we talk about wanting to air the business of the council before, you know, in, in open ourselves up to scrutiny. Uh, But in some ways, we all know that the easiest and quickest way to get something done is to do it behind closed doors without any of that and avoiding all that controversy. So I think what I wanted to recognize is that my colleagues put in, all of us on the council put in a lot of time doing work for residents.
0: For the record, we should probably note that Michelle Wu voted against the pay raise in question. Well, let's put it this way. Her colleagues
1: on the council, especially the older, more senior ones, especially Bill Linehan, uh, should give her a hearty round of applause because she's really covering from them big time. As I said, she's covering for them here? For them, big time. Um, And and, and by her vote, she clearly didn't agree with them. Um, She's very high minded. I'm not. I'm cynical. What Lenihan wanted to do by raising uh, the, 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 the council's salary was boost his potential take home on his pension should he retire in the near future. Whenever you look at pay raises um, by elected officials in City Hall or at the State House, think pensions because people who are going to retire want to up their last. You you know, their last take-homes, because that's what your pension is based on. Um, You sound like Howie Carr here. Well, Howie's right about some things. And uh, let's just say she's being very high-minded. She's playing the leadership card uh, very skillfully, but it is um, kind of a crock.
0: Huh. Oh, kind of a crock, a first time ever usage of that term on the scrum. Well, if she's covering for uh, her more conservative colleagues, and in particular Bill Linehan, we probably shouldn't be surprised, right? Because she also did Bill Linehan a solid two years ago when she voted for him for council president. No,
1: I would say those are in uh, very different categories. Um they are apples and oranges.
0: Well, let's hear what Michelle Wu herself had to say when we asked her about her decision to back Bill Linehan two years ago for council president. I had assumed, by the way, that when she gave that comment in her inaugural speech about unfair scrutiny, that she was thinking of all the flack that she took for backing Linehan over Ayanna Pressley. But she says that wasn't what was on her mind.
2: What happened two years ago with my council presidency vote was, I think has been written about extensively, a learning experience for me. Um, but, you know, I I try to be the same person, and uh, my number one goal is to be the same person in and out of politics, that I'm going to make careful decisions based on the facts, and when I give my word, stick to it, vote my conscience.
1: I thought you vote for uh, the the previous council president for for, for uh, Mr. Linnian, was a stroke of genius. I, I saw it as, you know, the city council equivalent of bipartisanship. Since um, everyone's a Democrat in the Boston City Council, it was like which wing of the party. But that, that my opinion, you know, r- r- really doesn't matter. Will progressives ever get over the fact that you vote for Linnian?
2: I have had so many conversations with folks uh, to really emphasize, please look at the entire record, right? At the entire record of the entire council. We voted unanimously last term to pass a groundbreaking ordinance ensuring that city workers who needed access to transgender, to gender affirmation surgery or um, hormone therapy to w- received full coverage in, in terms of healthcare benefits. It happened before the state government picked it up. It happened and then set the tone really across the country. We got national coverage for that. All 13 members of the council voted for it. All 13 members of the council voted for the trust act to carve out local law enforcement from federal immigration laws where we thought that that was creating a wedge between community and and law enforcement, wanting to create that um, productive relationship.
0: I have to ask you if when you made that vote for Linehan, given that the coalition that backed him is, as I understand it, the same coalition that backed you, was there ever any understanding that looking ahead to the next time this job came open, that that group of people would back you for the presidency? (laughs)
2: No, there was absolutely no discussion. And I think, I mean, had I had the, the, that would take a whole lot of, I think, Self-importance and and guts maybe to say I just got elected to a job and and next time I'm gonna base my vote on the fact that you're gonna put me in the seat next time. Uh, so no, that was not part of any initial conversations. But look, I think on a on a body that is that has 13 members, relationships are important, and to get things done, you we have to count to seven. Hopefully, and I, ideally, I think all of us want to count to 13 more often than just to seven. But having that trust with people and, and having productive working relationships really affects the the tone and the, the pace at which we accomplish things on the city council. I have had the pleasure of partnering with nearly every member of the council, and I think we see uh, a lot of those partnerships, right? So lead sponsor and then co-sponsors cross any perceived, you know, quote-unquote liberal or conservative or older new Boston lines all the time. So, again, if there were more awareness into what the council was doing day-to-day and week-to-week, I think we would shatter a lot of these sort of boxed stereotypes.
1: Adam, before we move on, I I think you're honestly misreading what she says about scrutiny. I think the excess scrutiny that uh, Michelle Wu was talking about at her inauguration or swearing in as president of the council really applied to the scrutiny the press um, uh, gave the council when some of its members were looking for a raise. I I, I, I think you're honestly mistaken. Well, she,
0: she says the same thing. So since both of you say I, I was reading it wrong, I'll confess that I read it wrong. Well, th- that's big of you. <laughs> so another question I had is how Michelle Wu was going to interact with Mayor Marty Walsh. Here is what she had to say on that topic.
2: What I appreciate most about Mayor Walsh is that I think, like Mayor Menino before him, um, every conversation is really tangibly focused on real people, right? So, sure, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna talk about this, you know, policy innovation or use these buzzwords. But at the end of the day, what does that mean for that? Family living on Augustus Avenue, you know. Um, so, I think for many of the for the council, it's it's the same prioritization. Our job at at the city level is to be there for people in ways that matter, and to think about all of the tweaks, you know, small and large, that we make to policy, to constituent services, that that people may not even realize are happening, but that contribute fundamentally to quality of life. So I think in that vein, um, the council and the mayor are entirely on the same page. I think many of the administration and and the mayor's focus on um, innovation and his, his new thriving, healthy, innovative sort of mantra for the city fits very nicely with the priorities that I've heard expressed from my colleagues as well.
0: All right, so there's broad philosophical agreement and uh, substantive agreement. Any points of uh, disagreement worth highlighting?
2: Um, you know, I think we I've had a couple conversations with the mayor about this new role that I'm that I'm taking on, uh, and he has always been very open to the idea we're not going to agree 100% of the time. Um, I think by the had the Olympics uh, conversation proceeded on further, we, we probably would have uh, co- disagreed uh, more more sharply, um, and there was never any sort of residual personal impact or, or um, you know, we didn't feel that there was any uh, impact on any other policy conversation that I had with him. So I really appreciate that he is open and, and willing to engage in that line of communication, Agreeing or disagreeing, uh, there's certainly going to be hot button issues that come up over the next term. Urban renewal and the BRA is going to be big. Um, uh, we, you know, we have a new uh, bargaining contract that the council is going to be evaluating. Uh, we're talking about how to create more affordable housing. Um, we're, yeah, there, there are a lot of things that will be before the mayor and the council jointly that we'll have to dive into the details on.
0: I'm really glad you brought up the BRA and the extension of the BRA's urban renewal powers. What is your uh, take right now on whether it makes sense for the BRA to keep those powers?
2: I'm a little, I've been a little uh, frustrated that there there hasn't been a, a better structural way for residents to participate, right? So really there's the the, even though the BRA's Powers and their their toolkit um, has such a big impact on neighborhoods, how what they look like, what developments go in, um, the the sort of resounding uh, drumbeat of history and and that we hear from residents has been that many neighborhoods, many people have felt shut shut out um, and and felt like the, there were done deals made without participation or with sort of a, a, uh, minimal attempt at, at actually engaging people. Today's BRA is very different than the BRA of 30, 40 years ago, and I think we all recognize that. However, the rules that they're asking for, the powers they're asking for, are the same mm-hmm. as, as were in place then. So um, we need to, to really have a conversation about the BRA's continued role in development, uh, as it relates to the city and, and the, the planning and development that happens within City Hall, or within the other agencies, I should say, um, and how we engage communities and neighborhoods in having meaningful feedback. Much of the feedback that I've heard on the urban renewal proposal has not been positive from the general public. I think our role on the council is to be a voice for people, uh, for, for neighborhoods and for residents. So, you know, we'll we'll have... Further working sessions will have further hearings before any vote happens. But um, I think for many of my colleagues, it, it, the BRA still has to make the case and prove the case that everything should be maintained as it was. You know,
0: as I listened back to that uh, bit of our conversation when she was talking about all the the good feeling with Marty Walsh, even when they disagreed about the Olympics, I felt like I was, you know, drinking a cup of soothing tea or warm milk. And then all of a sudden the BRA came up and I kind of sat straight up in my seat and and began looking forward to conflict down the road because I'm a shallow person.
1: No, it's not shallow. I mean, the difference, I, I think the, the reason there's a difference in this issue is the Olympics was a self-contained issue. It was one big thing. The BRA in ongoing development is a whole series of things, so there's a possibility that friction can build up. I'm not suggesting frictional up between uh, Wuhan and Marty Walsh, but friction on the part of the council or council laws, um, it's long-term friction, not situational power plays that uh, are at issue here.
0: Wu also had some really interesting things to say, I thought, about what the future of Chinatown is gonna be. Let's take a listen to her uh, musings on that topic.
2: The word that popped into my head uh, when you first started asking the question was terrifying. Uh, I am very worried about Chinatown, like so many of the advocates are and and, and so many of the residents are. You, you You think about all of the ingredients that go into, the um, potential for for gentrification and, and turnaround, right? Proximity to downtown, um, buildings that haven't been developed in in a really long time that are still in large part owned by residents or um, or local business owners who who many years ago invested in in purchasing their entire buildings back when it was still the red light district, back when there were a huge number of public safety issues. So that all of that makes for very um, uh, just very precipitous change in the neighborhood you know every time we have a property owner who is now you know getting up in, in, in beca- wanting to enjoy their retirement and if the next generation doesn't want to go into the restaurant business because they have grown up seeing success as moving out and in, into the suburbs or um, or becoming a, a professional in a different field not wanting to take up o- not being able to or not wanting to hand over the business to the next generation developer comes knocking on the door saying I will take this over for you gladly planning to knock it down do something huge uh, for exponential profits you can't ask people not to cash in for their their descend for their <laughs> kids and their grandkids futures so how can we start to structurally think about putting in place protections where we still can. It's a conversation that in many ways is urgent and, and at crisis level for Chinatown, but still relevant for other neighborhoods, which you know, if we keep going the way that we're going now, will be where Chinatown is very shortly. How can we identify the parcels that are left and really focus on turning them into affordable housing wherever we can, into other community spaces? How can we uh, leverage housing innovations like land trusts or um, or other policy changes that will will ensure that all of the development coming to Boston helps to anchor our longtime residents and neighborhood neighborhoods as well, and not just to create more luxury uh, downtown.
1: The future of Chinatown is as Michelle Wu says, I think very iffy. Without some creative thinking, I think Chinatown, as we now know it, um, is a thing of the past. Um, I think there is some hope. We could look at communities like the North End and see how has the North End uh, managed to hold some, uh, its ethnic identity. But the, the, the big villain here is not City Hall. It's... Um, It's real estate prices. You know, it is the invisible hand of the marketplace, which is not distributing goods and services to Bostonians, but in many cases, except for the lucky few who own their property, choking the life out of it. So it's a tough one.
0: And if the north end is the best case scenario, I mean, uh, I probably have mentioned this to you before, but I grew up in the Midwest, but every summer we would come out to see my father's family in Connecticut. We'd always fly into Logan. Uh, We'd park under the central artery, and then we'd walk over to the European for a meal. That was our little family ritual. And then we would drive to Connecticut. And I feel like just thinking back to the North End, I remember visiting as a kid in the 80s. It is so radically different now, in part because of the market forces you're talking about, in part because of the big dig. Um, It it looks a little bit like the North End, I remember, but not that much. So if that's the best case scenario, uh, Chinatown's going to look really, really different too. Yeah. Well, finally, Peter had the good sense to ask Michelle Wu about her relationship with Elizabeth Warren. Uh, You were struck, Peter, by the fact that on Michelle's uh, barely decorated walls in her new office, there were, among other things, a picture of her with Frank Chin. Now, you're much better qualified to describe Frank Chin's role in Chinatown in Boston than me. Who is Frank Chin?
1: Well, Frank Chin is the most influential private citizen in Chinatown. Um If Frank chin were Irish, he 'd be called a boss um, he, he's also a, a, you know I, I think in the tradition he, in a in a, a a culture that reveres and respects old age, I think Frank chin has a special place that's on one wall on the other wall is uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren um also a figure of much respect but you know, depending on which way you're standing on the left and the right, on the right and the left, it really struck me that on the two walls of her barely decorated office, she had just moved in the day or two before we got in there, you see Frank Chin, Elizabeth Warren, and I think it's over, it's an oversimplification, but those, I think, are the polarities of her world.
2: I remember that first day of contracts law and she walked in all business. No, you know, hello, welcome to Harvard Law School. The first day of class, just straight to the books. And um, over the course of the term, we really understood that one, we had to be prepared for Professor Warren's class, and two, it was she. She was just an incredible, incredible teacher, and that was recognized through student evaluations year after year. But after she would teach us on Monday and Tuesday mornings, she would get on the plane, go to D.C., and then grill the regulator she was overseeing tarp at that point so we could watch her on c-span and then not feel so bad about ourselves that we didn't perform well (laughs) in class with that same socratic method um i think what i appreciate most is that she has always you know every every time she's given advice it's really been about sticking to core values sticking to what's true to yourself and uh, when your values are those that include everyone and not just the privileged few, um, that's, that's what you listen to and that's the guiding force. She has been saying the same message since I first met her and even before. So it, it's been really inspirational and um, I think uplifting to watch someone transition from being uh, an, ex- an incredibly smart, brilliant intellectual and um, an academic being able to take that same skill set and see success come come from the political side i think is is has been, was a little surprising for me and and very um reassuring about the state of our democracy and, and about our country and you know i i see that she um across the country re- you know can represent something that uh, that you either agree strongly with her or there are many who disagree and i certainly have extended family and others who present all sorts of viewpoints everyone always wants to talk to me about senator warren and and what they think um, but no matter who you talk to everyone acknowledges and appreciates that she always speaks her mind and says what she believes no matter what the pushback or um or reaction is going to be and i think that should be a, a guiding model for for all of us in politics.
0: So, Peter, you're going to hate me for asking this question, but based on her comments about Elizabeth Warren, as you look into your political crystal ball, what do you see in Michelle Wu's future?
1: I hate you, Anne. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think I think, um, I, I think uh, Wu might say, geez, let me get through the next two years. I think you're right. Um. I I would say that, you know, look, if I had to play that silly rating game and, uh, you know, give her a score, I would say that as a Boston politician, she had rate a 9.5 because I think she's really in tune with the with the face of Boston that has changed, not the changing face of Boston, the face of Boston that has changed. Um, I think as a general political talent, I'd put around an 8, an 8.5. She's young, but boy, she's very impressive. I obviously really like her. Um, and um, I've, I really sit down with a politician you know, in come away learning something. The few times I've had one-on-one conversations with Charlie Baker, I've come away and I've learned something, you know, um, sitting and talking to Michelle Wu, I learned something. And what I learned is that, um, the old Boston that she appreciates and that I grew up with has changed much more than I think it has. And, um, uh, I think she's got a good bead on it. There are other people in the council who do,
0: too, but we're talking about her. All right. That is going to do it for this installment of The Scrum. As always, if you like our podcast, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and online at the new WGBHnews.org. You can also drop us a line at scrum at WGBH.org. If you have suggestions, comments, or any kind of criticism, or beef my sage conversational partner was Peter Kadzis. Peter, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Our producer is Amanda McGowan. I'm Adam Riley, and the Scrum is a production of WGBH News.